Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Saturday, the 28th of November. India's COVID-19 tally surged past the 93.5 lakh or 9.35 million mark this morning. Over 41,000 new coronavirus cases were detected in the country in the last 24 hours. A little short of 500 fresh fatalities were reported nationwide, taking the death toll to over 1,36,000. Active cases remained above the 4.5 lakh mark for the second day, compared to the nine consecutive days before Thursday when active cases in the country were below 4.5 lakh. Meanwhile, the country's second zero survey conducted by the Indian Council of Medical Research or ICMR found that nearly 70% of Indians aged 10 and above were exposed to the novel coronavirus. Prime Minister Narendra Modi arrived in Gujarat's Ahmedabad today as a part of his three-day vaccine tour. He is scheduled to visit pharmaceutical firms and institutions developing vaccine candidates for the coronavirus to review the developments. Earlier today, he visited Zydus Cadillac's plant near Ahmedabad. The company had announced earlier this year that phase 1 clinical trial of its vaccine candidate, Zykov-D, was over. It had commenced phase 2 of clinical trials for the vaccine in August. Meanwhile, pharma firm Bharat Biotech's vaccine candidate, Covaxin, is currently undergoing phase 3 trials. The Prime Minister will also be visiting Bharat Biotech in Hyderabad and Serum Institute of India in Pune in the next two days. The ICMR yesterday approved the commercial use of what is being described as a game-changing technology of dry swab testing for COVID-19. This method is RNA extraction-free and was developed in the in-house research team of the CSIR or the Centre for Cellular and Molecular Biology. This will help public authorities to increase the testing capacity at a fraction of the current cost of conventional RT-PCR tests. It is also being seen as a time-efficient method in comparison to the RT-PCR tests. The Supreme Court yesterday pulled up the centre and the state government for lack of implementation of COVID safety guidelines and the failure to contain the virus. The top court said that the centre should take the lead in dealing with the coronavirus pandemic in the country as mere guidelines without their strict enforcement would not be enough. A bench of justices Ashok Bhushan, R.S. Reddy and M.R. Shah hearing a suo moto case in the COVID-19 situation said, and I quote, 80% of people are not wearing masks, the rest of them have it hanging down from their jaws. Things are going from bad to worse. The central government must see all states are following the SOPs or standard operating procedures. India's economy for the first time ever slipped into a technical recession phase. Government data showed on Friday that the country's GDP contracted by 7.5% in the second quarter of this financial year, meaning from July to September. An economy is set to enter a recession when the growth of GDP is negative or declining for two consecutive quarters or more. The country's GDP growth had hit a record low in the first quarter of this year when it contracted by 23.9%. This trend was a result of the already ongoing economic downturn being worsened because of the coronavirus pandemic. The GDP growth has now rebounded from the fall in the first quarter but continues to remain negative by over 7%. Looking at the current data, the economy is back on track to register an overall contraction of 8.7% over the course of this financial year. If that happens, the country's economy would record its worst performance in more than four decades. However, farm and manufacturing sectors have raised hope for the economy's early recovery. 
An annual growth of 3.4% has been recorded in the farm sector and 0.6% in manufacturing. Despite other sectors recording contractions this time as well, they have recovered significantly as compared to the April to June quarter. The mining sector contracted 9.1% compared to a fall of 23.3% in the last quarter. Construction contracted 8.6% in the July-September period as compared to a drop of 50.3% last time. Meanwhile, the trade, hotel, transport and communication segments fell 15.6% in comparison to last quarter's 47% fall. A youth from Punjab who had climbed atop a water cannon to turn it off during the farmer protests in Ambala district yesterday has been booked for attempt to murder. 26-year-old Navdeep Singh has been booked in the same FIR that Bharat Kisan Union President Gurnam Singh Chanduni was booked. Navdeep's father, Jay Singh, who is a leader of a farmer's organization, had also been named in the FIR. The police have accused the two of trying to run over policemen with a speeding tractor trolley by breaking the police barricade. Yesterday, a video of Navdeep Singh climbing a blue water cannon showering protesters amidst the cold wave in northern India was shared widely on social media. The youth was seen trying to turn off the water cannon and was described as a hero by the people. Apart from the attempt to murder charge, Navdeep has also been booked for rioting and violating COVID-19 rules. He told the Times of India yesterday and I quote, After my studies, I started doing farming with my father who is a farm leader. I never indulged in any illegal activities and got courage from the commitment of protesting farmers to climb the vehicle and turn off the tap as it was hurting them. Unquote. Navdeep also told the Indian Express that him and his father were being targeted for joining the farmers' protest. He added, and I quote again, We did not harm anybody. We are just fighting for our rights. Unquote. Meanwhile, protesting farmers from Punjab and Haryana have decided not to protest at the Nirankari Sangam ground in the Burari area of northwest Delhi. They continued to gather at Singhu near the Tikri border in West Delhi. The farmers were earlier holding a meeting to decide whether they will move to the designated area for demonstration which has been given to them. A farm leader told Scroll at Singhu that they had decided to not move and would continue their protest at the border. Heavy security was also deployed at the Singhu border, which separates Delhi and Haryana. The Hindustan Times reported that farmers from Rajasthan, Madhya Pradesh, Uttar Pradesh and Uttarakhand are also expected to join the protest. If you're keen on knowing how TV news channels cover the farmer protests, head to newslaundry.com and check Anna's report titled Misled, Brainwashed, Instigated – How Primetime TV Covered Farmer Protests. Polling for the first phase of District Development Council or DDC elections is underway in the Union Territory of Jammu and Kashmir. This is the first local political exercise in Jammu and Kashmir since the abrogation of its special status on 5th of August last year when it was still a state. Voting is set to take place in eight phases in November and December. Nearly 7 lakh voters are eligible to decide the fate of 296 candidates in the 43 constituencies that are going to polls today. Over 22% voter turnout was recorded till 11am today across 20 districts. Election officials said that due to the cold weather, the turnout was low when voting began at 7am. However, it improved as the temperature rose through the day. Jammu and Kashmir's election commissioner K.K. Sharma said that polling will take place through electronic voting machines or EVMs. However, postal ballots will be available for COVID-19 patients in isolation, senior citizens and physically unwell voters. 
In addition, West Pakistan refugees who are Indian citizens and are eligible to vote in parliamentary elections will also be entitled to vote for the first time. The Jammu and Kashmir Panchayati Raj Act of 1989 was amended by the central government in October this year. This was done for holding direct elections for the DDCs, which will constitute the third tier of the Panchayati Raj system. As per the amended act, each district will be divided into 14 territorial constituencies by respective deputy commissioners for electing their representatives. The representatives will then elect the chairman and the vice chairman of these councils among themselves. The DDCs replaced the district development boards which operated when Jammu and Kashmir was a state. These boards were chaired by a cabinet minister or a minister of state and included MLAs, MLCs and MPs. In other news, KK Sharma also said yesterday that the PDP president Mehbooba Mufti had not been detained. He said that the police had advised her not to undertake the journey to Pulwama in view of a security risk. His response came after former Chief Minister of Jammu and Kashmir Mehbooba Mufti's claim yesterday that she was detained again for two days. She had also said that she was not allowed to visit the Pulwama residence of party leader Wahid Para, who was arrested by the NIA earlier this week. Mufti was also scheduled to meet journalists outside her residence at 3pm yesterday. NDTV reported that a group of police personnel stopped journalists about 100 metres away from Mufti's residence. The police officials had told reporters that the press conference was not allowed as per orders from the higher-ups. The latest enemy of the state in Yogi Adityanath's Uttar Pradesh is a 15-year-old boy. According to the Indian Express, the Class 10 student was arrested last week for allegedly issuing a threat to the chief minister. According to the police, the boy had sent a message threatening the chief minister on the state's Dial 112 helpline through WhatsApp on Sunday. The police said that an FIR was registered at the Sushant Golf City Police Station after the incident. The number was then tracked by the cyber cell of the UP police and the boy from Agra was identified. The day after his detention, he was presented before the juvenile board in Lucknow. He has since been placed at a juvenile home in the state capital. The family of the boy had been unaware of the complaint before the police came to pick him up. The minor's grandmother told the Indian Express and I quote, He is so young and has barely seen the world outside. We do not know why or in what circumstances he sent the message. But anyone in the village can vouch that he meant no harm. It is possible that he sent it out of frustration or as a joke. We can only know when we speak to him. Unquote. The boy's family said that the boy is usually quiet and spends a lot of time playing. They added that he studies in class 10 and is a good student. Sachin Kumar Singh, the SHO of the Gulf City Police Station, said, and I quote again, the FIR was filed by a policeman because the message mentioned the chief minister and had been sent to the official number. Prima facie, it appears that the minor did not mean to carry out the threat. Further investigation in the case is pending, unquote. In another update from Uttar Pradesh, news agency PTI reported that the state governor Anandi Ben Patel today approved the state's recently passed anti-love jihad draft ordinance. The UP Prohibition of Unlawful Conversion of Religion Ordinance 2020 was approved by the Yogi Adityanath government on Tuesday. Under this, religious conversion for marriage done through force, deceit, coercion or lies was made a punishable offence in the state of Uttar Pradesh with a maximum jail term of 10 years. Apart from Uttar Pradesh, even Madhya Pradesh, Haryana, Assam, Karnataka and even Tripura are seeking to legislate against love jihad. 
that love jihad has gone from being a hindutva bogey to informing laws is deeply worrying and has therefore sparked a debate about this country's democratic values but what is the reality of love jihad what are the socio political dynamics behind the campaign to outlaw interreligious marriage who benefits from this campaign and who is the target We are keen on answering these questions for you through a series of ground reports, video explainers and podcasts on the myth and reality of love jihad. But my lovely listeners, in-depth ground reportage like this needs not just hard work and time but also resources. And as all of you know, we are a 100% ad-free news platform, so please help us bring out this series. Contribute to our latest news laundry scene our project called Love Jihad: Myth versus Reality. Head to our website newslaundry.com for more details. And for more on Love Jihad and how TV news channels are adding fuel to fire, check out the latest episode of TV Newsense. And now for some international updates on COVID-19. Global cases of coronavirus have surpassed 61.7 million while the death toll has crossed 1.44 million. South Korea has reported more than 500 new COVID-19 cases for the third straight day, the speed of the viral spread unseen since the worst wave of the outbreak in spring. The national caseload has crossed 33,000 including 522 deaths. Around 330 of the new cases came from the densely populated Seoul metropolitan area, home to about half the country's 51 million population. Japan recorded more than 2500 new coronavirus cases on Friday, its highest daily increase of new cases since the pandemic began. The capital Tokyo has been particularly hard hit. The city logged 570 new cases on Friday, marking its highest daily total so far. The number of confirmed COVID-19 cases in Germany has increased by over 21000. The country's partial lockdown measures could go on until early spring if infections do not reduce. Meanwhile, in the United States, more than 13 million COVID-19 cases, including close to 265,000 deaths have been reported so far. In Los Angeles County, all public and private gatherings with people outside a single household will be prohibited for 3 weeks starting on Monday to curb an unprecedented spread of the virus. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.